The views of the guests and hosts of the BIPOC Academic Coalition are solely their own, unless otherwise specified, and in no way represent the institutions they may be associated with or work for. Thank you, Ame Avalanto. This is our introduction episode for the BIPOC Academic Coalition podcast. We're going to get to what this podcast is going to be about in a second. We'll also include in this episode a discussion of an article called Black Study, Black Struggle by the author Robin D.G. Kelly. But first, I'd like to start by introducing Steen Fauché. Hello, listeners. Thank you for being one of the three founding members of the BIPOC Academic Coalition. My complete pleasure. Uh, that is a thank you. That is our not-for-profit that we have started in Canada, and uh, this is an accompanying piece uh, to our not-for-profit, which is about assisting, revealing, educating on matters of the BIPOC struggle in higher education. And that will be including a wide variety of people, including um, all forms of stakeholders and all forms of people that are within higher education. And for this episode, it's just three of us, but in preceding episodes, we're gonna have other members of the BIPOC Academic Coalition and of course, some guests. Gonna get back to MA for, uh, for a second here. Ame, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, please? Ame Avolonto, uh, I don't know if I will say associate professor at York University. It's hard to say that now, isn't it? <laughs> Statutory, <laughs> I am associate professor at York University, Glendon French uh, Department, but uh, since uh, I decided to, I've decided to stand uh, to uprise against uh, the uh, oppression uh, BIPOCs and particularly Blacks are victims of, mm -hmm. then I became a paria <laughs> that uh, mm -hmm. the university uh, administrators uh, are trying to present as dangerous for the community. So uh, I have banned from campus campuses uh, uh, exactly as uh, a criminal <laughs> mm -hmm. is uh, sentenced to lifetime prison. So, yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, Ma, for you and I, and uh, my name for the listeners is Christopher Darius Stonebanks, or I go by C Darius Stonebanks in academia. Uh, unfortunately, for Ma and I, you can find out about both of us very easily if you do a Google search. Or any simple kind of web search, you'll find different news pieces <laughs> on us. Uh, you know, most of them are quite sympathetic to who we are. Um, and we will not overwhelm the listeners on this first podcast with the situation uh, that we have gone through uh, within Canada and higher education. Uh, that'll come out bit by bit through different episodes. Um, but suffice to say that the reason for the three of us to begin this uh, not-for-profit and to begin the different forms of social media that we are using is because of experience. Yeah. And we are not alone in this. And we strongly believe that there are other people like us, part of the BIPOC community, uh, who are struggling or who have struggled. And we want to bring people together. Now, Christine, our dearest sister in this podcast, is going through her PhD studies right now, but she's a very experienced educator. Um, and I would love for you, Christine, to introduce yourself. And then I'll say all the wonderful things about you that you're not willing to say yourself. 
<laughs> right. As um, as my colleague just pointed out, I am a PhD student in Indigenous education. I've been an educator for 35 years. Um, and what I've found as a woman of color is that there's a lot of um, discrepancy when it comes to racialized students, racialized faculty and staff. And this is what we want to bring to your attention today. Yeah, so we all, the three of us met, um, not because we, you know, all met each other at a coffee shop or at some, you know, pleasant function or anything like that. Christine and I actually met each other in a pleasant way. Uh, I was a professor in a graduate class that she was taking. It took me very short time after receiving a few assignments from her, uh, after listening to uh, the way she would analyze readings at the graduate level, to ask her the very simple question, which is, when are you starting your PhD? <laughs> I think I think I actually asked you, why aren't you doing a thesis yes, option? Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And then why aren't you doing your PhD? And then from that conversation, you come to realize that when you're a BIPOC person, there are very few people in programs because programs are overwhelmingly white who are taking the time to actually sit with BIPOC students. And I don't know what word to use. I mean, just hear, listen read mm -hmm. <laughs> what they're saying and and to give them the support they need which in your case christine was just saying haven't you ever thought about doing your right. phd <laughs> was all the support that was yeah needed. i wasn't getting that support i never got that support and so i didn't think i was um i was eligible actually yeah or or sometimes you feel like you're not worthy or, yeah exactly that too mm -hmm. right so yeah so you'll be able to find out more about ma and i <laughs> through google searches i got to know ma because um there was a news piece that had been put out ma was um, the which, fifth uh, estate fifth estate and it was a fifth estate documentary that was put out uh, Fifth Estate is by CTV News. No, uh, CBC. CBC. CBC News. CBC yes. News. Okay, I don't want to get in trouble no, no, with the no, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation or anything like that. CBC News. Mm -hmm. And uh, I only found out about it, I think maybe perhaps four months after it came out, because so many family members and friends kept on sending me the YouTube link saying, do you know this guy? He is literally going through exactly what you're going through, <laughs> which, and then I watched it and I was in complete shock about what you were saying that you were going through once you had stood up and said that there is a problem at your university dealing with anti-Black racism. And then I sent you an email. Do you remember? Oh. <laughs> like it is now that I got that email, absolutely. <laughs> and that that was really the beginning of a very lovely and kind of regenerating relationship in the sense that at least from then on, I am in close relationship with someone who identify himself mm -hmm. to me without being me because mm -hmm. arabic descent i am not <laughs> iranian iranian <laughs> <laughs> but it looks like we have been made of the same Paria, sound of the society, mm. and we are going through the same thing. I don't know if you remember, every time you tell me your story, I, I will tell you, Chris, stop stealing my story and bring uh, it back yeah. to me. Yeah, it was it was hard, honestly, to, to, to I, I, I don't know how to, I didn't know how to feel about it, because quite frankly, that is exactly what happened, Christine. Every time we were communicating, I was communicating with him, um, May was very generous with just saying, please tell me your story. 
which so few people want to hear your story, mm -hmm. right? Because they get mm -hmm. fed up of yeah. you. They get tired and fed up of you after yes. a while if you are telling a story of of persecution and trauma and and they don't want to hear it after a while because you're just a killjoy in their right. life. And so Amé really took the effort and took the time and he did literally, he kept on saying, stop, stop, stop. Are you talking about my case? <laughs> and I go, no, I'm talking about my case. And he'd say, that's impossible. It's the exact same right. thing. And after a while, it became it became a joke, Christine, where he would just say, like, stop stealing my story. <laughs> I believe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I didn't know. So it's the same thing with you, Christine, that like that feeling that you had of feel that feeling of like, you know, I'm getting some kind of attention, yeah. but I don't know what the attention is that I'm getting right. in class. Am, am I the mixy, you know, Mohawk Arab mm -hmm. woman? That people are kind of looking to professors, white professors are looking to for validation, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but why aren't they really accepting that, you know, what I am saying is worthy of some kind of inclusion and recognition at the university and you're not alone in yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? And, and, and that's what we're trying to do here in this, in the not-for-profit education activism and research all dealing with what we go through the struggles and the victories fortunately there's a lot more struggles than victories Absolutely. in higher education and we are, are are looking to bring people together so that it's hard not for the for, it's hard for the three of us right. not to feel like we are siblings mm -hmm when our experiences are so similar. Absolutely. Christine, what are your thoughts yes. on that? So I think it's important that um, people of color know that they're not alone, that this, this happens and has been happening for a long time and that we want to invite them to speak. We want to invite them to write about their experiences um, so that we can create a community of academic, um, BIPOC people that, you know, don't feel so alone. And we don't, and we honestly, we don't know. You're, you're in a unique situation, Christine, where you're, you're bridging uh, multiple cultures, um, multiple cultures of, of visible minorities. Mm -hmm. um, I am also a mixie, um, but I, you know, everyone's going to look at that last name Stonebanks and they're going to wonder, was it changed on Ellis right. Island or something <laughs> like that? But no, there are some positive stories about, you know, multiculturalism, right, of people course. of different backgrounds are getting of together. Yes. <laughs> yes. And they're having babies. MA, MA is a purebred. Yeah, purebred. He's a pedigree. Yeah. yeah. He's a pedigree, <laughs> right? I'm, you're a pedigree. Okay. Yes. Actually, actually, uh, I, I may have already made the uh, million babies uh, all around the world. <laughs> Because, no, because now my reputation is, yes. it, it looks like I just have my penis glue in my head. And whenever- and Christine, Christine, let's calculate. How much time oh. did that take? Whenever I greet- I 22 greet, minutes. <laughs> whenever I greet a, a, a woman, particularly white women, oh, I just hit them. I saw, I assaulted that. So that's now my reputation. And that, and honestly, that's, that's, that is what we face. Yeah. And, and we need to talk about more of things like that, what we face. And that's why we do need to hear more, more voices right. uh, from different people so that we understand. And, and Ame and I are starting to understand through the, through our conversations that for him as a black man, there are two ways that they will attack him. And I'm, I'm, I'm very proud to say that on the first uh, episode of our podcast, I'm wearing a very old Muhammad Ali shirt that I would habitually wear when I was in sub-Sahara Africa, uh, in Malawi and Tanzania and, uh, and Zambia. I, I loved wearing this shirt because, first of all, as an Iranian uh, and of Muslim heritage, uh, Muhammad Ali was really the first athlete mm -hmm. that I became aware of because... In Iran in the 1970s, he was everywhere. He was all over the place, Muhammad Ali. Plus, I have like countless cousins who have the name of either Muhammad Ali, Ali Muhammad, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Representation <laughs> matters. That's right, that as well. 
And plus, I always loved Muhammad Ali. And of course, Christine, you were the one that grew up in the United States. Um, I always loved Muhammad Ali because he would say to white people, you fear me for two reasons. Yeah. One, because of my intelligence. Yeah. And two, because I'm physically superior. That's right. <laughs> right. And, and so I'm intellectually superior yeah. and physically superior. And you can't yeah. stand yes. that. And, and as a little kid, I, I just, I loved mm -hmm. that. I loved yeah. it because we all felt inferior. Right. And suddenly there was this like magnificent person, mm -hmm. you know, saying that I'm not going to put up with that anymore. And he paid the price absolutely. for it. Absolutely. You know? So that, that, that was absolutely amazing. And remind me what I was talking about before I started talking about Muhammad Ali, Christine. We're just talking about heritage and ancestry and that. Ame, Ame is maybe the only purebred among us three. Oh, I'm not so sure. Or maybe I am. I look like the pure, pure one, but uh, like I told you, oh, I don't mm. know how many children. But you I yourself. Oh no no no! Now I now I remember because yeah. I'm sure the P I'm, word. I'm, I'm going I'm going that that's it exactly as as you started talking about the P word <laughs> about like walking into a room and impregnating people yeah. that I remember yes. What, yes. what I was going to say I realized that after talking to Ma that the way that you attack um, a person of color a you know a black indigenous person of color can be varied mm -hmm. so and and what you have to deal with is varied so. For MA, the attack comes in terms of being a sexual predator, which is the common thing for a black man. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second one is the stereotype of being like physically intimidating, right? right? Because, because we know the whole thing in, in terms of like the Western consciousness about black people is that uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to tell you anything you don't know, M.A. I want him to say, no, it's absolutely untrue. Is that first, like, it's the, it's the smiling black yeah. man who is a sexual yeah. predator and he's trying to get, to, he's trying to get at the white it's women. Awesome. And then, and then when he has the opportunity to be violent, he will be violent. Mm -hmm. Right. And, right. And, okay. Now and the, the most, and there is a third, but very subtle, uh, um, uh, component to what we are talking about, the necessity for these white administrators at York to make sure to erase or to try to erase because they can't erase all my legacy, everything. Yes. Oh, that absolutely. Yeah. I have yeah. been, I, I worked for yeah. all my fight for social justice, my name, they have to tarnish everything and erase it. It got to the point where even me trying to apply for research fund if is a threat for them yes, so that I know, given all the procedures I really don't think that the university is in a position yes. to fund you, to yes. fund you. I am a professor, yes. I am still a professor until finds yes. otherwise. But yeah. Yeah. this senior administration of York University will refuse me. I had organized an international conference back in uh, last summer. And I send an email to the senior administration of York University saying, oh, here is this beautiful Pan-Africa, Pan-Africa educational conference that I have leaded and, uh, and organized with uh, colleagues in Africa and elsewhere. Now I need a fund for this conference. I got a response uh, uh, a, a month later saying, oh no, given all the procedures, we are not, the university is not in position to fund you for a conference. <laughs> you, you, you right. is, yeah, exactly. One that, one that could empower you and empower others. Yeah, absolutely. Not it is, do that. The purpose is so clear, making sure because they have interrupted my career since five years now that I am in this, they have interrupted all aspects of my career. 
And this and this goes back to to why I love Muhammad Ali is because when they cannot defeat you intellectually, they have to start looking at your physicality, Mm -hmm. right? At at least, you know, I I don't want to oversimplify it at this, you know, we will talk about this in greater depth (laughs) in other episodes. And the opposite for for me is that, well, as a brown man, uh, it's always been the case since the Crusades, right? (laughs) The idea is that I am a physical threat right Mm -hmm. away, right? That I I come in as a physical threat. And that the second thing is that I have some kind of like Svengali power Mm -hmm. where I'm able to seduce, you know, or that there's always a lecherous aspect Mm -hmm. of me where I'm going to be seducing Mm -hmm. other young women or women or something like that, 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 that is like the secondary part. So it's almost kind of flipped. Now with Christine, mm-hmm. I'm going to go on a limb here, Christine, and I'm going to give a little bit of the stereotype that I am going to just take a stab at saying uh, what you have had to deal with. Now, as somebody who is uh, both indigenous uh, on two different, two different ways mm-hmm. of, the, of North Africa, yeah and uh of uh, north america that you have slowly but surely become the mystical sage yeah. of white teachers around you mm-hmm. where they turn to you for affirmation where they turn to you for you to say you're right yeah. that is exactly what is happening mm-hmm. where they turn to you for being the sidekick right right the person who will elevate their status exactly. right because they have now their new best friend right right because i'm i'm <laughs> representing know? two two uh, ancestries yeah. yeah right so they 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 can they can have two best friends in one <laughs> right <laughs> yep. and that you become a mystical person in mm-hmm. many ways to them because of not the intelligence that the intelligence that you have in terms of you know, the reading, the research, all of that kind of stuff. And let me say right now that I'll say this very clearly. Christine is brilliant editor. <laughs> she is a brilliant writer. Thank you. And she reads like no one's business. <laughs> I read a lot. Yeah. But she is, she, she should have been seen as an academic a long time ago, but no one in academia wants you to be an academic mm-hmm. because then you become a threat yeah. am i wrong you are correct absolutely mm-hmm. so that is what this podcast is going to be talking about in a very informal yes. way in in many ways we want to be free to mm-hmm. talk and i'd like for the two of you to think a little bit about the audience mm-hmm. Who is the audience that we will be speaking to? Uh, uh, me, I? Yeah. Take your, take your time because I can edit. Uh, no. Yes. Uh, I, I, my, my, as I always uh, uh, tell both you, uh, when sometimes uh, critics uh, come and want uh, to try convince us uh, to uh, uh, derail our main objective from what we said at the beginning uh, to please people. I always resist, actually, and uh, tell you that uh, I'm not uh, trying to look nice to the white community. I am talking through this organization. I want to be talking to myself, meaning to you, Chris, Mm -hmm. to you, Christine, to my people, and uh, wake people who are maybe still sleeping or push people who are not sleeping, really, wake them up and say, wait a minute. Do you really think that the wolf will come and cherish the hands, uh, babies. No, it is in the destiny of wolves to be predators. So whenever they see us, we can't, we can't expect 
white people to be the one implementing what will free us from their persecution. It's not in their interest. So my objective for this organization is really to draw the attention and the conscious of us, of our people on the fact that we need to really think diff in a different way the fight if we really want to overcome the, the evil we are facing because racism is evil. Racism is evil and uh, you can't overcome evil in letting the evil decide the way he that will stop being evil. It is in the destiny of evil to to be evil. And I and I I I think that that you are are correct. I think that especially when we're dealing with the current generation of the status quo, which is still very much that generation of baby boomers and a little smattering of uh, Gen Xers that are there. Um, I, I think we need to hear in a future episode, which uh, we'll be organizing hear from uh, first from indigenous uh, youth, uh, people in their 20s at university. Uh, we're going to be hearing from uh, some students who are going to talk to us whether or not they see any kind of difference in their experience. So we'll see if there is like any kind of real change. I have hope for this for this new generation. Um, but especially, I totally agree with you, especially in terms of the people who are in power right now. Christine, what are your thoughts? Yeah, our audience are you know, all academics and students and faculty even, um, and staff that work in higher education um, that feel left out of the conversation, um, that, you know, feel that they're being silenced. And this creates, this creates frustration, not just, you know, as, as part of your job, but just being in that space where it doesn't always feel safe. So we want to target audience, an audience that cares about these issues and want to speak to it. We'll, we'll speak a little bit to, to the article that you picked. Right. But before, before we get to the article, yeah. I want to add a small, uh, a, a small piece to what I, I said from what Christine just, uh, just presented. I, actually, I have one primary, primary uh, audience and uh, a secondary audience and both the primary audience and the secondary audience will force the tertiary audience, which are the white administrators mm -hmm. who are the oppressors, to no longer have the choice of counting with us. The, my second audience then, uh, the, the, the secondary yeah. audience is our white allies mm -hmm. who mm -hmm are doing tremendous work in mm -hmm. the support yeah. of us, yes. taking all the risk that yeah. being white and supporting people who are trying to destroy the white privilege system, yes. suffering the consequences of that. I want also to talk to them through this organization. And Absolutely. once mm -hmm. the primary audience, our own people, BIPOCs, mm -hmm. and the secondary people, our white allies, we yes. get together and understand the path through which our struggle should be conducted, then the tertiary audience will not have the choice of counting with us. I think, I think Amé, for that audience, you spoke to uh, briefly about white administrators I think that the only people that will be listening is the lawyers that they hire <laughs> that are paid for by students and taxpayers. Yes. You're right, you're right. They, they won't listen to it themselves. I'll have their lawyers listen to it. <laughs> um, I, I, I love what you said, but uh, Dean, um, I, when I was reading that, uh, that article that you suggested for us for today, uh, it, it reminds me in terms of how we have to control our language and the author did not have to control his language. Right. He was writing specifically, I felt, to, to the, the Black community right. 
and he he paid some uh, reference to indigenous and people <laughs> of color in it as well. Um, but there was one thing that he wrote that I thought was particularly interesting, which is I read it like as a who cares about safe spaces? You know, I, I kind of look at safe spaces now. And the argument that's being made in universities that this is like a space to sedate yes, us, I mean, you know, like just just put us to sleep so we don't say anything. And they're, they're, they're going to say, you're safe, you're safe, you're safe. And I don't want to have those safe <laughs> conversations or like I, I don't want to be in those kinds of safe spaces. I want to be able to speak without fear of being attacked well, because I want to be like yeah. a regular human yeah. being. Right. Uh, I, I know that for myself, I'm, I'm tired of having to say to people that racism exists. Right. There's different forms of racism. Mm -hmm. Systemic racism is, is in many ways more, way more evil and insidious than the kind of racism that I faced in the schoolyards sure. or, or playing hockey mm -hmm. or, right. you know, in an alleyway yeah. or something exactly. like that. Um, and they, they just don't want to yes. hear it. And, and I don't, I don't want in this podcast, I don't want us to speak mm -hmm. that way. I want us to speak with that, with the certainty that we have from the research, from experience, even, even saying at my former university, the pure metrics of my last 17 years there under one administrative group and one leadership right. group, where I said, let's look at the metrics. You don't have a single BIPOC person in any kind of administrative role or right. any kind of leadership yeah. role, you had one and that person somewhere else, yeah. Yeah. you had yeah. one, right? That's it. So those are your numbers. Yeah. And even when you give them something that is supposed to be as objective as possible, yeah. metrics, they still get offended right. with you. They're still hurt yes. by it. And they say you're hurting their feelings. Right. Exactly. And that you're insulting yes. them. I, I just want to piggyback on what you just said. It's that safe space is what we want to create is, is being able to speak truth to power, right? To be able to say finally what we're thinking, what we've our lived experiences, right? And that's how I read it in this article, that mm -hmm. safe space where you're allowed to speak what mm -hmm. you've you know, what you felt and how you feel. And absolutely, this is why this BIPOC academic coalition is so important. Yeah. So how about you, how would you give us the name of the author so, and the article that we, we read the today? Article, the article is by Robin D.G. Kelly. Um, he wrote this in 2016 and it's called Black Study, Black Struggle. And actually um, the book that I lent you by um, Ms. Patel, Dr. Patel, she referenced this article many, many times. Great article. And yeah, great um, article. yeah so her book is, is what? What's it called? What's the title, Christopher? It's called uh, Books That Christine <laughs> Lends Me That Sit on My Coffee Table. <laughs> that I'll never read, right? <laughs> I will, I will, I okay. will, I will. Yeah, so, um, but it's, it's, it's mainly outlining and, and uh, in a framework that people will understand how BIPOC uh, people are, are, hmm, are categorized in higher education, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. how this has been going on for a very long time. And that now with different movements that are happening um, social movements, civil movements, um, students and uh, BIPOC people are just, we've had enough, right? We've had enough and we want to be able to speak freely. Yeah. And yet, and yet the article was written in what, 2015? 16, 2016. 2016. Yeah. And, and I wrote a very short period because I have peace. Okay. Because I didn't know that he had written this right. and, you know, sad, sad for me, which basically echoed the same thing. Yeah. Uh, where I was making the same kind of argument, and yet you see no change. Right. And yet you would see an article like this being used by white professors in their classrooms to talk about social justice and anti-racism yeah. with no ability to look at their participation, right. their peers' participation, you know, their administrative's participation, like it doesn't exist in their mm -hmm. backyard. Mm -hmm. So, Emma, can you tell me, uh, what did you, what did you get out of this article? Uh, 
I actually, reading the article, I read it, I think, uh, five times. And uh, every, each time I read it, uh, I get uh, more depressed. <laughs> yeah, because, you know. Let's invite him on as a guest then. The, 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 author, the author went way back in 1969. We are, yeah. we are in 2022. And since, since those ages, people have been dying, have been offering themselves in pasture in order to free us, in order to draw a better respect, attention on us, but still, we're still talking about the same thing. That's of course. Me. Yeah. The, the, the struggle many, continues, I mean. Yes. And... Uh, one thing that's really, really uh, uh, is challenging in reading that the article is the fact that, oh, in a very cosmetic way, Absolutely. white yeah. people are ready to say, oh, systemic anti-black racism exists. Oh, systemic mm. anti-BIPOC uh, 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 exist mm -hmm. in our institution, but the minute, the minute, oh, they even go further. The, the, the president of York mm -hmm. University, for instance, will always- We'll bleep that, we'll bleep out the university oh, name. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 that is my university and that's- a, <laughs> Okay, go ahead. No, 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 go we, ahead. I have to, I want to. And okay, all the right. president <laughs> of York University every time will be saying in uh, the, so-called black frame and inclusion framework. We yeah. want to hear from black people. We want to hear <laughs> from the, the, the community. But look yeah. where I am now. I no. just yeah. I just pointed out the persecution, the racist persecution I was yeah. I am victim of from two white administrators. Look at where I am yes. now. Exactly. Deprived from everything, my humanity, my dignity, yes. my ethics, yep. my, my deprived from even the basic right of being offered the possibility to defend myself mm -hmm. when allegations, serious allegations built against yep. me as to divert the my complaint. I don't even have that right to defend myself. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, because when, when they talk about, so when your administrator, and I don't even want to call, call this person your administrator, when these administrators do these kinds of things, so for me, it'll be an administrator who will be more, you know, anti-Islamophobia than my grandmother would be, you know, <laughs> like that's what's going to end up happening, you know, if it hasn't already happened already, I haven't been paying attention. But when they talk about these safe spaces, I really like, and I got this from, from Kelly's article, I really do think they mean sedated spaces. Yes. So they want to, they want to depoliticize everything. Yeah. They want people to come in and say like, I would feel better if there were people of color on the walls. <laughs> Why don't we have a mural about people of color? Yeah. And then they go, oh, that's that oh, exactly. beautiful exactly. idea. Yes. Let's get the art department to do a, you know, we'll, we'll have right. them put up even Malcolm X right. on that. Right. <laughs> you know, Mahatma Gandhi, Malcolm Absolutely. X. And, and that's what they want. That's the sedated to the point where Christine and I are, are, are presently witnessing different indigenous groups at universities who have gone from being organized mm -hmm. as something that is political mm -hmm. and they're being changed into something that is simply window dressing. Exactly. There's celebration groups. Right. I, I, I have a friend, uh, a very close friend of mine. She's also a big fighter against uh, uh, systemic uh, anti-black racism. And we, we, we call it goodies, you know? This political aspect, the political purchasing of our conscience is extended to using our own tax monies to, to look like implementing some structure that they are the only one 
who believe is welcomed by us because all kind of cosmetic uh, decision for we money. Oh, this year we will we will fund black students. We will fund uh, uh, black professors. But at the same time, a black professor who you want to hear from talk. <laughs> Yeah. Ask money to to complete yeah. an international. Yeah, but they don't. They don't want to hear you. No, they don't. They don't want to hear you. It's performative. Right? Yeah. They 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 want to hear a professor who's going to be thankful to be included. Well, in of the course. Yes. Exactly. And it's right? all that's what they. It's want. all part of that inclusion, right? Inclusion, but um, it, it it doesn't mean anything because you're being fetishized. Exactly. That's the right. bottom line. Yeah, the the beautifully said the uh, illusion inclusion or the inclusion yeah. illusion. Christine, I want to I want to read a sentence to you um, and and see what you think about it. That came from the article uh, where he wrote, "I want to think about what it means for Black students to seek love from an institution incapable of loving them, <laughs> of loving anyone, perhaps." Yeah, right. Right. So, I mean, he goes on to talk about trauma, which we could have like an entire um, episode episode dedicated to to trauma um but what what do you think about that half sentence that i read well, i think that it, how i interpreted it is you as a student as any student in higher education you want to be able to say that your professors and your inst the institution cares about you cares about how you're doing your work, your research, um, how you feel in the presence of, you know, faculty and staff, so on and so forth. And, but that's not happening. And that's, you know, when you're young and you, you enter higher education, you wanna belong. You wanna feel that you're important and not just a number. But for BIPOC people, we know we have to work harder, have to work even harder than, you know, our contemporary, white um counterparts so mm -hmm. i think what he what he means here and he took this from james baldwin right mm -hmm. about loving james baldwin said we have to love our people we have to love as agency right mm -hmm. and making that word love the motivation for making revolution mm -hmm. so when we speak to that it means that we have to identify, like, be proud of our identities and our um, uh, our ancestries. But at the same time, the university or higher education is not seeing that. It's just seeing, you know, we know that we're commodified now mm -hmm. because universities mm -hmm. are corporations, right? We're just a number. So before we were being silenced and, and invisible, now it's even doubly hard to be recognized as a BIPOC person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. love. So is, is it, yeah, sorry, no, go ahead. I just going to finish is that love, no, it doesn't play into that. You know, it's an ideal. It's, it's nice to think, but until, you know, we revolutionize the academy, it ain't gonna happen. And, oh. But can you, can you do it? So I'll, I'll ask this question to, to, to MA. Because, you know, there have been many professors who have, uh, you know, who aren't professors anymore, so I can't call them professors, many academics and scholars and activists uh, that are BIPOC that have left the university. In many ways, they've been forced out and they just said, I'm leaving on my own Absolutely. terms. And, and why did I ever think that an institution built on racism mm -hmm. would somehow make a difference in anti-racism right. so the question is you know can it and i'll ask i'll ask ma to, to, to speak on this can it actually be a space of activism and change and i my first response because i have three responses to you my first response okay. is, <laughs> is uh, that's why we need our organization to be known the spirit of it to be shared and for people to join us through this BIPOC academic coalition. Because the first, first place 
where we will feel safe because we have several objectives through this academic, uh, BIPOC academic coalition. Uh, and and safe, safe to be angry. Exactly, smart. safe to be angry, <laughs> smart, but particularly safe to be you. And mm. the one of the biggest piece I love with what we are, we are trying to do here is the assistance, the, the assistance that we will be giving people, the space we will be giving people to talk about uh, their own experience without fearing. Because we live in constant fear where, when we are in a space where we are tagged as not necessarily being full human being, but uh, type of human being that they want us to be. So that might- Yeah, and, 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 and MA, I, I'll, I'll say it myself, if you're being careful about saying it, no, I do not feel like I'm a human being in higher education. No, I don't. no but that I don't. is my second <laughs> point. My second yeah. point is, I think we have to stop behaving like critters or like people obeying to them the way, walking in the path they want us to walk through. You know, the minute a black complains about being victim of systemic anti-black racism, the next thing that happened to him is her or her is he loses, she loses his job. The way mm -hmm. I am fighting is to resist to death to show them that in my case, they can't dictate the way I will be, where I will be. If, of course, it's hard, but creating- But before, before, before you get to your third point, before you get to your third point, let me just give you something to think about on your second point that you're saying. And, and that is that you use the word they. Yes. And yet, one of the things that we have to talk about in our podcast at a future episode is that as unionized people, mm -hmm. whether you're a student who's part of a union, student union, or you're a part-timer and you're part of a part-timer union, the way current laws exist across Canada is that we are told by our unions when we face discrimination from administrators that we must obey, yes, we must comply, yeah. and then we grieve. Yes. And then that process that they have set up allows the status quo to keep on doing this to yes. you over yeah, and over, over and over yeah. again. So we are told to obey. Yeah. And that's the systemic part that yeah. we have to recognize yeah. is that we are told to obey. We, we, there is no resistance besides, you know, grieving mm -hmm. and arbitration, mm -hmm. which is a quiet, lonely process that you go through, which in the end, the perpetrators can do it to you all over Absolutely. again. If they want. And uh, I want to jump on what you just said. Drawing. All right, you jump on what I said after I jumped on what you said. Christine, you jump on what <laughs> yes. I said afterwards. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, but I don't. I don't know if both you remember. I have been uh, uh, talking uh, uh, abundantly to you guys about uh, the Horrocks decision by uh, the Supreme Court of Canada. Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna, yeah, we are gonna- Oh have yeah, we are going to, but to I want to yes, draw absolutely. the attention on that. Even the legal system at its mm -hmm. top level, yes. Supreme Court yeah. of Canada mm -hmm. has ruled in the Horrocks decision that unionized people will no longer have the possibility of turning to human rights jurisdictions when they face discrimination at their workplace. And it is in debate now in Ontario. I hope Ontario judges will call their reasons and not fall in that trap that totally, totally deprives us of everything, everything, the same people who are persecuting us will be the same people who will make the decision that they are not persecuting us and, right, and yeah. apply to us 
sentence of having filed vexatious complaints against them. You understand what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, so that's that's the only way, and I think that goes back to the article. The only way that that is going to change is through activism, through political activism. Absolutely. It's to it's to it's to, we can't even depend on the media, quite frankly, right? We have to find a way to organize to very clearly say this is this is my opinion. Christine, you please jump on this opinion and chastise me and tell me I'm wrong. But in my opinion, what we have to do as BIPOC people is say, we are not going to be your sidekicks. We are not going to elevate you in classrooms anymore so that you think you're this wonderful <clears throat> ally. And there are wonderful yeah, there allies are. out there. Okay. But we're not going to do that. We are openly going to say that if you go along with this, that you are giving a green light to systemic yes. racism. Because we know we are the minority. We know that unions work for the greater good. And we're not part of that greater exactly. good. Now, Christine, you tell me why I'm oh, wrong. I didn't say my third thing. <laughs> I didn't say yet my third uh, thing. Of it course, is, of course, uh, yes. In, uh, in less than 30 seconds. My last, of, uh, my last point about uh, uh, the discussion is, uh, is, is a quote. A, a, I don't know how you say proverb in English. A proverb. Uh, uh, you, you, you just okay. said it. Uh, it is, <laughs> they say, as far as uh, haunt, haunt stories will be told by haunters, uh, oh, the, 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 the hyena will always be the guilty one. That yeah. is why I think if we evacuate totally the space where the spotlight are turned on the discussion, I don't think that it is in our advantage. That's why we have to find a way to be in that unsafe for us space, but progressively, gradually turn it to a safe place for us. Mm -hmm. Because that is my objective at least leaving a legacy behind me because I'm closer to, <laughs> anyways, a, a, a legacy where the next generation will have it. Oh, it's, yeah, it's all we could do. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's all we could do. And by the way, the poor hyena, beautiful animal. <laughs> Ame, have you, have you seen a hyena? Oh, I am. Ame? I am from Benin. Of course. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if you hunted them all. <laughs> no, there's still a good. Yeah, we want to hear from Christine now. Yes, absolutely, Christine. Can I can I read something to you because I, I know you'll 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 have something to say. Further on in the article, he writes: Indeed, to some extent, campus protests articulated the sense of betrayal and disappointment that many black students felt upon finding that their campus failed to live up to their PR. Mm -hmm. Again, remind me when this was written, 2016. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, let's go on, okay? Many students had come to the university expecting to find a welcoming place of nurturing faculty and a protective administration. Mm -hmm. If they believe this, it was in no small part because the university recruiters wanted them to. Tours for pr pr prospective right. students, orientations, and slickly produced brochures often rely on metaphors of family and community highlight campus diversity and emphasize the sense of belonging that young scholars enjoy. Christine, yes. please. Yes. And please, please rage. Yes. And <laughs> we all, we all feel that way. You know, when we, when we identify as racialized or ethnic BIPOC um, and we see that that's not true. We see it in the classroom. We see it in the hallway. We see it in clubs, you know, um, it's just, it's that's what window dressing is all about, you know, um, and it's on their websites too, right? So what we need to do, and what ha often happens in, in in the university setting for students is that they they create their own clubs or their own um, associations where they can feel that sense of representation on campus. Um, but that that only goes so far, because if you're not resisting and you're not bringing action to that resistance, um, 
you're just feeding into that same same stereotype of you know being tokenized right that's the word i was looking for being tokenized so what we need to do as uh, as students as bipoc students and in these smallest associations is that sense of resistance and and make our demands make the demands until we're heard it might take you know a long time i take years but um we are doing this work for future generations you know and it's still, it still draws us into the conversation because I'm sure this is the, the, the this is an experience that you know is not unique. But please, uh, please to one can person. I, can I put? A... I, I'm I'm setting you up for something oh, right now. On. Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what ends up happening to a lot of these clubs is that although they may start political, yeah. right, they're not going to be supported by administration and by taxpayer money unless they are affirming. The administration and those professors that have the leadership role that that change is exactly and and that's when i'd love for ma to talk a little bit about that about how these organizations like for instance uh, a black um, student union organization that starts off as an activist orientation uh, with an activist orientation ends up getting co-opted um, by the power structures, by the status quo. I, I will, I, I will thank you, uh, Chris. I will um, uh, quote Robin Kelly, uh, the article we we just uh, we talking about. Nice summarizing, nice way of summarizing my response. Universities will never be engines of social transformation. Such a task is the work of political education and activism. And uh, activism will never be sponsored by oppressors for the activism to be turned against them. So you have to find a space outside the superstructure where the status quo is in the advantage of people who benefit from white privilege. That is why we are inviting our people to join us through the BIPOC academic coalition. That is a brilliant way for us to wrap this up for people to get a sense of what we're trying to do mm. okay and that is a beautiful quote that i'm sure we all highlighted yes. on it that that is very true and the logic is completely sound it is of sound course. logic mm -hmm. that once again all professors would probably teach to and say like well of course i wouldn't trust somebody who has power over me to suddenly give me power it's never historically yeah. happened Right. It, did, it didn't happen in South Africa. No. It didn't happen in India. It didn't happen no. in, in any of these countries where, where like the oppressors suddenly went, you know what? Mm. I was visited by angels or ghosts last night or whatever <laughs> it is. <laughs> and I've decided I'm changing. It hasn't happened. No. And yet that's what they keep on telling us to trust yeah. him. And we can't. We can't no. do that. I mean, what you've said, Christine, yeah. the article that you've had us to start off with, I think is our foundation yeah. to what we are trying to do here, which is if the change going to happen, it has to come from yeah. us and by true allies mm -hmm. that don't self-declare themselves as being right. allies, but that are identified by a large group yes. of us, not just their one no. black no. friend who says it's no. okay. No. <laughs> by us but for by... us, you know? Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, Christine, would you like to would you like to say anything before we uh, we wrap up here? Well, or would you like to say anything to wrap us yeah. up? Yeah. Um, well, just that we've had a really important conversation about what our uh, academic coalition is all about. Um, we we talked about the audience that we'd like to um, also target. We talked a little bit about um, what that means to us as BIPOC people. Um, in academia, how we've been 
um, stereotyped and how we've been silenced and made invisible and that we need to make that change um, within our community, BIPOC community. And um, yeah, and we invite, we invite you to join us. Yes. Okay, now on our way out, please, Ame, I would like you to say the word resist in Fongbei <laughs> five times getting louder and louder so I can play the music into it, okay? So please, sir, say it. <laughs> One more time, but louder. <laughs> Thank you very much, listeners. See you next time. Thank you. See you next time. <laughs>